Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Point G. Gregory Darser describes his early Point G productions as beginner's tracks produced while completely stoned on an SP-1200 sampler. But these 12 inches contain some of the chunkiest house tracks made in the late 90s. Tunes like Chicken Coma just do not go out of style, but at the time they didn't make much of an impact. They since became cult classics, and Darsa was thrown back into the project in 2013 following represses of his early work. In the meantime, he made a prodigious amount of music as DJ Gregory and as a hired producer in the early 2000s. But as Antoine Carboneau found out a few months back in Darcy's Parisian studio, Point G is again filling the frame, giving the project a new lease on life that's seen Darcy return to making some essential house music. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Point G is up next. Hello Gregory. Hello Antoine, how are you? I'm good, and you? Very fine, thank you. Thank you for having us today. We are in your studio, surrounded by your vinyls. How many do you have here? Honestly, I think I couldn't tell anymore. As you saw, there is a vinyl in the living room also. I've been buying records since uh, 88, so I, I just don't, don't count anymore. Are you still buying records? Yeah. What kind of stuff do you buy these days? It's still the same as before, you know, everything. That's the problem because I love to sample. I love to also the records to play, you know, in the clubs. So I buy all kinds of music and I love to discover uh, music all the time. And so you're realizing uh, the Point G experience. So it's going to be on vinyl, actually. Alors, actually, the Point G experience is an album that is going to be uh, on digital. As I did uh, four years of uh, vinyl only on Point G records. And this is going to be the second compilation. I did a compilation last year, and this is a new one. So tell us the story of the of the project. So you're starting to produce under the Point G moniker, but you actually started doing stuff back in the in the nineties under Point G. Yes, actually, back in the nineties, I did start as DJ Gregory. I had a radio show in Paris uh, called A Deep Groove. 
a deep groove means uh, Alex Deep and Gregory. So it was a midday mix from Monday to Saturday uh, with uh, Alex from Tokyo and DJ Deep. We were playing basically uh, what we liked, which was Chicago House, New York uh, Garage, all kinds of tracks, the early Detroit stuff, and some disco stuff. I was pretty young, you know, back then, and I slowly start to uh, to learn how to make music. And we had, uh, you know, some some dads, you know, like Chaz and Laurent Garnier and Ludovic Navarre from Saint Germain. So as I was very much hypnotized by the sound of New York, and I was going to New York every year, as my best friend moved to New York in. Uh, 1990, I was going there on vacation every summer, sometimes in the winter, and I was completely blown away by the sound of uh, the early Masters at Work stuff, the very first Sandy Rivera stuff, you know, when he did K.O.T. on Black Whiz, the, the beginning of Mood to Swing, uh, the Merck records, and of course Todd Terry, you know. I did both an SP-1200, because I understood that this was the sampler that could, you know, make those type of groove with that type of sound. So as I was, you know, learning the process of making music uh, right after uh, Sunshine People on Versatile that I did for Gilbert, Alain, DJ Yellow from Yellow Production, did ask me to, um, because he knew that I was making a lot of beats with this SP-1200, you know, recording on, on, on that, you know, back then sequenced also with uh, an Atari uh, 1040. It, it was like, you know, I, I love those, those beats that you have on your, uh, on your dat, and I would love to, to release a project with uh, those, you know, those beats, dub-oriented, very minimalistic, and very raw. So this was back in 97. I was a bit shaky, you know, because I was still learning, and the, the, to me, uh, if you weren't doing... Uh, Frankie Knuckles or David Morales or all the type of, you know, music masters at work and everything, you weren't supposed to, you know, to, to show off too much, you know. But after a while, you know, as um, I was playing the tracks uh, on acetate, because I was, you know, making acetates in New York of those cuts, I felt, okay, maybe we can do it. And this is how I came with Alain and the, the Yellow Production crew with the very first Point G records, which is the raw EP. So what was your mindset when you were producing under the Point G moniker? <laughs> it was very simple. No, you know, I mean, the idea was to have some beats between the vocal, you know. As For your DJ set. Yes, exactly, because, I mean, I, I was playing a lot of uh, garage stuff, and those days were very much, you know, a lot of vocal, amazing stuff. So it was, you know, to have some, some beats, some tools, some tracks between the vocal. Compared to your DJ Gregory production, were more like a produced that became produced. It took some time. Hein? It took uh, uh, 97, 2003. It took uh, six years before we have the very produced uh, DJ Gregory stuff. I did a lot of stuff between the very first Point G and the beginning of Fire Combo, which is a, a complete different story. But yes. Yeah, because when you're listening to the raw EP, it's very different. The the sound, that the Point G sound, is very different to the DJ Gregory remix you released on Versatile during the, at the same time. At yes, the same period. you know, yes and no actually because the equipment was pretty much the same, but it was the same year. Once again, you know, I I love mixing genre and I love all kinds of stuff. And for this, and back then, you know. Uh, 
even though I was very much into the sound I told you about, the filter, the disco filter stuff, you know, became very popular in the underground, not on the other, on the overground. The overground came right after, like a year after or slightly a bit after, you know, but in 97, it was very much still inspired by, uh, you know, the sound of Chicago with a uh, relief, the sound of New York from uh, Henry Street, from, uh, uh, you know, guys like DJ Sneak, Nicky P, uh, all those people. So when I did remix the track of Gilbert, he had a sample. But as I was a bit confused, I didn't know what to do. I did an original track, but with another sample, just to stay on the line. And I gave him this original called Sunshine People as a remix. So what was the reception of your first Pongy records on Yellow Production? Because Sunshine People was like a big track played all huge. the time. Uh, yeah, it was huge. Yeah, The sales were crazy, actually. Yeah, man. And it never stopped because it it has been reissued every three years since then still nowadays yeah <laughs> what can i say it's uh do you know the, the numbers of no <laughs> i don't know the numbers but I, I, what i do know is that <laughs> it's that uh it's a remix so i just got a small fee for a remix but you know i mean i was young and i was learning and this you know this is the this is the game also so what about the first punji the first punji was more into this Deep House garage scene. And for example, uh, I remember I gave uh, the uh, acetate of uh, the track that is on the EP called Jean-Claude to Joe Closel back then, you know. He was playing it a lot, actually. Were you close to the New York scene? Yeah, I lived in New York from 98 to 2000. But before that, I was going in New York every year. So you would meet with the producer? Yeah, What but, you, you know, I mean, I was the, the kid around, you know, so... When you see a, a kid in, a, in parties uh, all summer long, uh, in the record store all day long, every day, yes, of course, when I moved, also, I was, um, as I had the radio show, uh, when I was going to New York, I was making interviews for the radio. So this is how I met everybody. Actually, I met uh, Sandy when he did Black Wiz uh, at the very beginning, but through the interview. I met John Cutler, he was working at the way before uh, distance distant or distance i forgot wow way before he was he had his label uh, he was working at the distribution uh, uh, for dj duke you know all those type of uh, were of, you talking production with these guys this producer you yeah a little mind? bit i remember i had a, a, i used to hang a little bit with uh, matteo and matos they were doing uh, the, the the final cut uh, label stuff And I had some acetate, I had some stuff, you know, I mean, I mean, but once again, you know, I was in the learning process. So you said when you were a teenager, you spent your summer uh, in New York, but after that, you actually moved to New York. What was the, the reason why you moved there? Well, the reason is very simple. So 98, I, I had the radio show the first year. So it was a deep groove with uh, DJ Deep and Alex from Tokyo. Then Alex went back to, uh, to Japan because he, he finished uh, his study in France, but then he, he went back to Japan. DJ Deep moved to Radio Nova, and I kept the radio show for 13 years in a row. This is why I was doing the interview in the summer in New York and everything. But, you know, I mean, I was then, because of the radio show, getting some bookings, you know, in Paris with the TGV party, with the first parties of Pedro Winter that were garage and house at the beginning. Played at the at the palace. A lot of different type of gigs I did for four years. Still learning the process of making music, but I missed the idea of going to New York for a little bit. 
So in 98, I was like, okay, I'm young enough to move there. This is the right time. And I moved in New York for two years. And this is exactly where I really learned the production process, uh, hanged more and more with the DJs and the producer. Even there, to be very honest with you, what I did wasn't that, you know, that mental. What did you... I did, a few, I did a few remixes. One of my friends, uh, Mandrax, who uh, was a DJ in Switzerland, um, had a room. Enfin, we were living in the same building and he had a room at uh, Tommy Musto, a Northcott production office. And actually, Tommy, uh, that used to make music with uh, Frankie Bones, he was doing Tommy Musto and Bones. And then he created the label Suburban with Victor Simonelli. And then he did start the no heavily the Northcott production process with... Uh, label like uh, Henry Street. Uh, he was the very first one to sign uh, Yoruba Records. This is how I met uh, Osun Lade at the very, very beginning. A lot of label. And of course, he had the studio, you know, where he was producing all those vocal and remixes. And uh, I was hanging there every day, all the time, all the time. So back then, you know, I mean, I, I was playing a little bit at the 205, uh, a bit at the shelter, who became the vinyl, some parties here and there, uh, the thing for uh, respect, you know, where, where, when they were um, coming to New York for the PS1 stuff and everything. I did a remix for uh, Terry Hunter. I did, uh, this is when I met Musti at the, the early Peppermint Jam stuff. So I did a remix for, uh, for Musti. A few stuff, a few bits and pieces. Uh, this is when actually I did start the SOA project with uh, Julien Jabre. And Julien was very close with uh, two kids, Michael and Maxime, who did start a label called Basic. was very much a, a very deep house label. Can you explain who's uh, Julien Jabre? Julien Jabre that I did met in uh, 94 came one day with a tennis racket and a friend of him called uh, uh, Lionel Riley. They were listening to the show and they wanted to meet uh, Cyril, DJ Deep, who uh, wasn't there that day. So instead of saying, uh, I'm starting the show, you have to leave the room, I told them, why don't you stay? And we became friends. It's really as simple as that. And they were involved more and more and more and more in music. They were students back then, but uh, I think two years after, uh, Julien uh, stopped his study and really went uh, to do uh, the music production. And this is how actually he did the project called The Deep with uh, Cyril, with DJ Deep, uh, with that track, that famous track called Dum Dum Jump. But after a while, they, they split and he was a bit, you know, he was a bit confused. And I told him, why don't you come to New York? I mean, I have everything. I have the flat. I have the equipment. You've never been to New York. Come, we hang out, we go out, and, uh, and maybe we do something. And this is how we did start slowly the SOA project. And the two first releases were on basic recording for the label of Michael and Maxime. Because we did, you know, the, the very first SOA stuff in New York, And I was messing around all the time, of course, you know, with the SP-1200 and, and, you know, the synth. And one day I did a track, you know, very kind of KOT-oriented, early KOT-oriented with a twist, you know. I called it Underwater. And Michael and Maxim really liked it. And they were like, man, we want to sign this track. And I was like, yeah, of course, you know, we had a very good relation. And this is how 
the track was released the first time. Were you happy with this track? Because yeah, very happy actually, very happy. Because when I'm listening to you, I have the feeling that the, you're not you were a bit frustrated with your first production. You think that there were like uh, tools not not really finished. Or is it the look to yeah, yeah, but nowadays, you know, or? I mean, yeah, but you know, uh, it's much more a spirit. You know, you have the people they they spend twenty uh, minutes on a on a track and they they think they are a genius. Me, I'm gonna spend years and years in making music, and I still still nowadays I'm still shaky, and I'm always, you know, to me the process of making music is a miracle. How did you uh, record Underwater? What's the story behind the track? Alors actually, if you listen to the other, like the stuff that I did uh, before New York on backup, the BNO beats and all that, that type of stuff, I just don't know why. And there also some unreleased stuff that I, that I have here that maybe I could release one day. I always had an open mic where I was, you know, saying some stuff or whispering with delays, you know, to give a, a dub feel. Underwater is really, to me, is really the stoner track, you know. I mean, I was in New York and, uh, you know, back then, uh, you know, I was younger and uh, smoking weed uh, all the time, you know. So this is for me the stoner track, you know. You are stoned behind your console and uh, you do mute and you, uh, you, you tweak the synth and, uh, and uh, you let it go, you know. So and what happened when the, the track got released? Did it work? Yeah, it worked nicely. You know, I mean, back then the cells were different. So it was a nice one. It wasn't a crazy one. But I've, I, as I recall, we sold uh, four or five thousand. But in those days, you know, we didn't have Internet or maybe. No, we, I think it, it was maybe slowly starting. Uh, no CD pressing. It was really just about vinyl. So people were buying vinyl like crazy. Because I'm asking you this because the, the track after like maybe 10 years got like uh famous again on, on dance floors you have like people that were asking you if they could uh, reissue it i think the first one was loco dice no alors what happened is that uh, in 2000 I, i went back in paris and i had a studio which is more it's a long story for uh, for quite a long time in paris with michael and maxime and julien And this is when I did the African, enfin, I did start the Africanism a bit before, but the Africanism day, Les Enfants du Bled with Julien, the Faya Comboyers released in the UK, uh, the Prasai stuff that were on Wall of Sound after, all those stuff, you know, that were produced in big studios. But after a while, you know, we were all done because it's always very difficult to, to see someone every day, day after day. After a while, you need to, you know, you need to, to do your way. So I went in Amsterdam for uh, I think three years, three years, yeah, three years. And at, at the end, I remember I did a party in, um, at the June. In Amsterdam, you know, there is the ADE. So sometimes, because I was there, I was seeing, you know, some DJs, some French friends. And in Amsterdam, if I do remember, J Jules, DJ Jules, told me, oh, man, uh, Do you have this this raw EP? Uh, do you have, and like the huge amount of my records were in my uh, dad's basement, you know. So I couldn't. And I was like, yeah, maybe I have some, but I just I can't reach those records for the moment. It was like, yeah, because you know it's cool. And I was I, really I didn't understand because these were my first raw, you know, and my first step. Let's say first step, and. I, Then, you know, um, I did a party at the June, still living in Amsterdam. And if I do recall, Loco Dice was at the table, Jules, a few other French DJ, but 
again, you know, Jules told me, yeah, you know, uh, actually, uh, it would be cool if I could reissue those early Pongy. And really, and I was like, man, why, why do you keep? And he was like, yeah, because, I mean, we are playing those beats lately. And I see Locodice that, that says, yes, we are playing it. You know, I mean, those are super cool beats. And it's like a bottle of wine. You, you have certain wine, they need time to, you know, to, to grow. So as soon as I moved back to Paris four years ago, I got a call. Hello? <laughs> This is Dan Genassia. I was like, yeah, Dan, how are you? He was like, do you own the right of uh, underwater? And I was like, yes, of course, I do. We're going to start a new label called Apollonia. And we would like to reissue Underwater as the first release. And I was a bit shocked, hein, honestly. And I was like, yeah, but why? What are you going to put on the B-side? Underwater. I was like, so you want to, you want to put Underwater on the A-side and the B-side? Yes, exactly. I was like, you have to explain to me. And it was like, it's very simple. We used to play this track so much at the Zebre, you know, the party that they had in Paris a long time ago. We love that track. It's a classic for us. So I want to have it on A side and B side because it's going to be played big time. And I was like, wow, okay, man, if you think so, if you say so, okay, let's do it. You know, and this is how the project restarts. So that was the first uh, Point G release in years because you've stopped producing under this moniker, actually. No, no, I didn't start. Actually, I didn't start to produce with this moniker. The very first release that I did was under Cheesy D with a track called Take the Cash and Run with a sample of Seron. It was in 96. But uh, after, I did a few stuff, sometimes with no name, so that could have been Point G because it was beats, like the BNO beats, for example. You don't have any name, but it's much more a, a Point G stuff. But from 98, 2014, yeah, there's no Point G records because as soon as I get back to Paris and it slowly start concepting uh, music-wise the idea of Africanism and then following on the, on the Faya Combo era and everything, it was DJ Gregory. And also because when I was playing in the club, it was DJ Gregory. It wasn't Point G. So Point G was completely... Far, very far. It was uh, for me. It was my uh, my youth. You know, when I was very when I was a kid, and slowly starting to to learn how to make music. And how would you compare the two, DJ Gregory and Point G? It's very simple. Point G. We talk about rough stuff. Basic would be the word. Basic stuff, rough, swingy, loopy, uh, but. Basic stuff. DJ Gregory, much more musical, much more uh, a mix of uh, genre, you know. Like, for example, you take a track like Solaris, there is kind of an epic feeling with uh, a disco beat, but you don't... You, I, I like sometimes, like, the Praside de Cruzine, or even everybody always told me, ah, Gregory is doing the percussion, the percussion, but it's not about the percussion, it's just that if you take a track like Elle, for example, for me, according to me, it's much more like a movie soundtrack like that says something and L means she so I was talking about a girl it's much more uh, an idea the percussion behind is just a, a rhythm to tell something but with uh, I wanted to have just this balearic 
tropical feeling, to feel the, like a, a wet feeling. With a lot of uh, layers, actually. It's, uh, it's above a lot of layers. It's uh, layers and layers and, uh, and putting some layers and some scenes and you take it off and you put some new ones and then you, you change everything. It's about taking time and having uh, hopefully something that could, that could last a little bit. But it's difficult, huh? honestly, it's difficult because, I mean, you know. You spend a lot of time producing L, actually. L is the one, actually, it's my favorite track and I worked three years on it. Three years. It so why, why is, what's the reason it's your favorite track? Because, you know, there is certain track that you do, there's something that goes above you. It's not you anymore. It's something that goes above. I did start L. It was very uh, with percussion and deep. But then for a year, it was a disco track. I had a lot of uh, sessions with musicians, dope ones. And then it went to something like very housey. And then back to a certain kind of afro feel but but too much sessions too much musician too much lines and al also i didn't want it to have uh, like a perform a musician performance you know because even back then at a certain point 2003 people and we get started to get a bit tired of the the really super muse super dope musical line you know because uh, house was very basic at the beginning Then, you know, you had a lot of, enfin, not then, because it took some years, more musicality, you know, but too much musicality. So then it became like almost like a lounge feeling, you know, and it was a bit annoying. So I wanted to have much more something that was uh, not about, uh, I didn't want it to hear the, the musician, you know, I wanted to have a, a spirit, a feeling. This is why actually, I mean, the, the, the bass player did some lines, you, you, You die. Honestly, it was a six strings uh, bass. Uh, and at the very end, I just looped uh, two notes. Boo, 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 boo. You know, because I didn't want it to have a... Uh, I, I wanted to have something else. And were you still, without releasing it, but producing pointy material at the time? Or you were focusing on the DJ Gregory sound? Ah, no. The, we are talking about 2002, 2003, 2001. So no pointy stuff, no? Even for like... Uh recreation uh, time uh, in the studio? Oh, no, I mean, uh, being in the studio is a recreation, you know. Uh, as soon as you start to work too much, it's becoming, for me, huh, it's becoming very often boring or uh, too aseptized, clean formatted, you know, boring. So, no, of course, the idea is always to, to have something that, is, uh, that has soul. And so after Underwater got reissued on Apollonia, you started producing new beats, pointy beats, actually. The thing is, the record gets reissued. I see the people, some names, new names, big names that support the record. Are you surprised? A little bit. I was a little bit surprised, but I was happy. Actually, Frank Roger on Real Tone, he did ask me if I had some unreleased. So the door was open. I gave him an unrelease of Chicken Coma with a, like a reggae bass. And on the B-side, something that was, I don't know what to think uh, about it. Something that I did in New York, actually, never released, called Confusion, uh, that I mixed down at home with Rob Rive, who was the engineer of uh, François Kevorkian, and other guys. It was like, and, even, and with a vocal, with the, the voice of the wife of John Sheffern. 
Émilie. I gave him this and I felt okay now there's maybe an ID behind it so maybe I should start a new label a point G records label I would do vinyl only and the ID was maybe to getting back in the clubs maybe not with the DJing maybe with a live aspect but as I'm a very simple you know a simple guy oriented and very much concerned even if it's raw now that I have a bit of experience, very much concerned about the sound, I wanted to make a live that would be a mix of blending stems and samples of the tracks. So this is the idea that I had. So get back to work with, of course, the new, you know, I mean, the, the way we are making music now, so much more, I, I took back my MPC 3000 because in 2000, I, I sold the SP1200, unfortunately. And I bought an MPC 3000, which is very good too, but it's a, it's a different, you know, different groove. And uh, this is how, you know, I did start the very first Pongy records and start to work on this idea of live mixing stems and samples with a lot of faders. And that's it. Basic. Once again, basic. The thing is, the first release, there is the track called Indian, Com and Dim. And once again, I see that Indian and Dim gets seriously played. And I see the, the, the booking, you know, the people calling so many, you know, for uh, almost four years that were, you know, constantly played like a roller coaster and now here we are with the release uh, end of may of this new compilation with some some new stuff tell me about the live performance because you said you were producing these tracks to be played for live actually yeah and I actually is it a new thing like in terms of process for you when you did I, that i honestly i love it i love it because you know i've been playing with vinyl for so long uh, and then we, we used to mix the, the CD and the vinyl. But this idea of having a lot of faders where you have the kick of this track, the hi-hat of this one, the bass and the music from another one, and, and all of a sudden it's a constant flux of music that, that you know goes up and down. Yeah, I kind of like it. And well, it took me a, a little while, but uh, and, and also there is a lot of energy. And, and because I'm an old schooler, I like energy, you know. I'm, I'm not saying to be hard and, uh, and uh, nuts, you know, but I like the energy. I like the people, you know, to, uh, to sweat and to... to I, I like this feeling of going on, you know. So what's your life setup? What, what are you using? As I told you, I use the controllers with long faders, not short ones. Because the, how do you say, the, the, the course, the, the length, when the length is too short, you're not able to manipulate the levels. I like the idea of the levels, even something that could be, you know, in the back, but for a long time. And there is the computer. And because, uh, as I told you, you know, very concerned about the, the sound, there is the Mitech converter that I use, which is uh, something that normally you put in a studio, but I take it in the clubs. You didn't want to do like an analog uh, live set? No, because if I do, an, it wouldn't make any sense because the music is not 
the music is very sample oriented. So how would you do that? Bringing some MPCs, but then the sound would would be unmixed. So then the vibe wouldn't be the same. It would uh, be wrong. Yeah, but it would be raw, but it not the nice raw. You know, I like when it's raw, but I like when you have a very nice low end. You know, so I'd rather play, you know, the, the kick like that. And alors, that's funny that you say that, but it's it's another discussion because next year there's maybe an ID with modular and everything, but uh, but this is something else. But no, for this one, it's about stems and samples. It's interesting what you're saying about the the project, the upcoming project you're thinking of about doing modular stuff. So you're still looking for new ideas and new. Ah no, the time. Ah no, but there's there's a lot of stuff going on. So what 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 is going on besides the point G uh, stuff? <laughs> no, I don't. But for have you stopped doing like DJ Gregory stuff, or are you still producing some uh, melodic, uh, rich texture? Alors, tracks the, alors, well, I'm going to tell you. Alors, the thing is the problem. Bon, besides the fact that uh, after those four years, now we have the compression, there's a new point G series that uh, is uh, starting in June called Point G and the 300, which is going to be 300 limited vinyl. Nice ones. So there's going to be two in June that normally I would I would uh, issue on digital maybe two or three months after. But the vinyl will be 300. So there's going to be two releases in June after the compilation. But then, you know, it, the problem is is that uh, I see that I start to put a bit more music in the point G stuff. Maybe this is not the best idea. You know, so maybe the best idea would be to to slowly restart Gregory on the side. You know, this would be two different projects and to have this, you know, musicality that I have inside also, you know, that has to be expressed. <laughs> <laughs> What about your other monikers, for instance, because you did some... Uh, there is Prasai also that I love. Prasai, I, I love this moniker, but um, Prasai could, could be this uh, modular thing way darker, more uh, between uh, slightly industrial and a bit chaotic. Uh, voilà. But do you have other monikers we've never heard of? Yes. Tell us about <laughs> it. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. No, there is some monikers that I took certain years because, uh, you know, you have, you have to pay the rent. But uh, <laughs> no, I can't. Okay, so we won't we won't know about the, your secret monikers, but what about collaboration? Because I know there's a, a lot of people that are coming to this studio to work with N you. Not only this studio, I mean, even... Um, oh, tiens, for example, uh, since the 90s, what can I say? When I had the SP-1200, uh, sometimes, I, uh, because I did, you know, tracks for the Source Lab compilation, I, and I did Phantom also, you know, uh, back then for the French Touch. Uh, with Virgin and uh, and uh, sometimes I, I get I got called to make beats for a bit more not mainstream but more uh, uh, yeah kind of mainstream trip hopish uh, vocalish project and I, and I used to come with uh, my SP 1200 and I used to for example uh, in the studio uh, in Paris uh, in 2001 I think 2002 maybe. I did uh, almost all the drum programming for the... And Julien did the, the mixing for the a Shaz album. Always, you know, if, yeah, in the studio also, you know, uh, some some friends uh, come and uh, and we, you know, we check what we can do. Uh, sometimes uh, they need a bit of keyboard, they need a, a bit of drum, they need a, 
or just an advice or uh, but myself too you know because it's always interesting the, to have the opinion of uh, people uh, that you do appreciate so who are the people who are coming to the studio these days to the studio um, two years ago we, we used to hang a lot with uh, with lazaroche uh, 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 Siller came a lot. Uh, a lot of people come, you know. And you're close to this uh, new generation of house producer because the Parisian scene is quite uh, productive at the moment. Yeah, very much. Huh? And and it, it's it's very uh, for a guy like me, it's very uh, impressive because it goes very fast. Because this is now what's going on, you know, with the technology and with everything. I mean. Uh, Uh, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I come from the days uh, with no cellular phone. So if you missed uh, a rendezvous, uh, you were fucked, you know. Uh, so now it's going very, very fast. Uh, and uh, and I'm always amazed to see how much, how fast the music is changing. What's cool in January, it's not that cool in August after, you know. Uh, and it's changing and it's evolving and... Uh, It's pretty. It's pretty disturbing in a way. Are there some like uh, producer you are like uh, following these days, like buying I, all the records, I, new releases? Buying all the records, uh, no. But I but I follow a lot of people. I mean, I follow uh, uh, I follow Mandar, I follow Flaubert, uh, I follow uh, Popcorn Records, I follow uh, uh, what uh, Seuil is doing, uh, I follow. Uh, Uh, Jules, actually, I'm going to do something on the uh, bass culture. Uh, I'm finishing an EP for bass culture that maybe September, October. A lot of uh, ambient and techie guys. Uh, I love uh, uh, the the project uh, Sergi Reza. Uh, I saw them live, man. It's 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 a serious thing, quoi. And are you still seeing people like Bob Sinclair? Who you spend a lot of time in studio back in the days? Back, yeah, back in. Uh, enfin, voilà, we met uh, because uh, Chris was the owner of uh, Yellow Production with Alain, oh DJ Yellow, and uh, so at, way before Bob Sinclair, of course, because uh, actually we met. He wasn't making any house music. He was making trip hop. They were trip hop DJs, hip hop trip hop DJs, and uh, we met right after Sunshine People. He was very curious to understand how I did, you know, that, you know, that track. And because I was very close with Alain, we, you know, we clicked and slowly, you know, he did start the project and, uh, and worked also with uh, the Daft Punk uh, for the Jim Tonic album. And I, and I was, I was there in this whole, you know, process. And after new, actually, um, I hooked him up in New York with a, uh, With a vocal in uh, Tommy's studio to record something, and uh, when I had my studio in Paris, before that, when I went back from New York to Paris, we needed to make some uh, acoustic stuff and everything. It took a long time, so it took seven, eight months, and uh, so I went for seven, eight months in his studio and helped him a little bit. He was working on uh, on uh, Champs Elysees, I think, did a lot of drums and stuff like that, and this is when. I did start to make some uh, some beats uh, a bit more French tropical oriented, and I came up with Block Party and Tourment d'Amour, and this is how we we did start the Africanism project. And after I did uh, which was a Soa Les Enfants du Bled. The first day we entered the studio in Paris when the construction the building was finished, just to test the the cabin, the room, you know, the recording room. 
Julien was hitting a lot of percussion and screaming and, and you know, moving some bottles, uh, anything, you know, just to, to see the sound and to record some stuff. And uh, we did Les Enfants du Bled in two hours the same day. This was pretty much also a big track on, with another mood, with another story. But bon, this is something else anyway. But so are you still seeing people like Julien Jabre? Uh, yes, of course. Chris, yeah, yeah, Chris, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Chris is living in L.A. So, and I mean, you know, throughout the years, you know, uh, uh, the, the way splits a little bit. But, you know, once in a while, we send mail, uh, we, we have a coffee, you know. And, 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 you know, once again, most of those DJs now, they, they're, not, they're not in France anymore. So speaking of uh, Chris, uh, Bob Sinclair, how do you, you were very close and you worked together, but now you like uh, two different paths. How do you look back at your careers respectively? You know, I would say people who know won't tell. And people who tell don't know. What I'm trying to say is you are who you are. So at a certain moment, when you get older, you have an idea of what you want that is very clear. So it's not even about the music that you do. You have some people, uh, they are entrepreneurs. They want to build, they want to have a huge career. They decide what they want in life. Other ones, they are more contemplative. They search something else. According to me, he reached exactly what he wanted to have, clearly. And I reached more or less exactly what I wanted to have, what I wanted to be, I would say. I would even say. So then what's next for you as a point, point G, DJ Gregory? Or? Oh, this, I, I mean, you know, uh, lucky me, I always have a lot of uh, projects in mind. But, uh, and then you have to make it. You have to make it up. So now there is, you know, this uh, uh, compilation Uh, the Point G experience. There is right after the Point G and the 300, the limited vinyl. And now I start to. There's other stuff. Uh, I did a remix for Josh Wink. Uh, there, there's going to be the, the, the thing for Bass Culture. Uh, I'm working on something for One. Uh, the, you know, a lot of stuff like that. But as I told you earlier, now after four years of Point G, I'm going to keep on. And. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, which I do already, to be honest with you, uh, work on something, maybe not with the name DJ Gregory, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but something that will be more, uh, musical. And it's pretty difficult because I don't want, I don't want to make something cheesy. So easy to make something cheesy, man. So, so many cheesy stuff, uh, in the overground and in the underground. Because it's not, uh, because you are, uh, not trying to to make something uh, for a, a wider audience that your music is not cheesy. <laughs> 